Welcome to the National Working Waterfront podcast, where we explore the economic, cultural, and recreational contributions of the working waterfront, a place of major activity and commerce. I am your host, Ashley Bennis. If you join me for our first episode, welcome back. Last time we went coast to coast to talk with three guests from New York, San Francisco, and Washington State about grassroots waterfront initiatives. This time we're going north to south to talk about marinas, their importance within the community and the tools and strategies they are using to adapt to climate change. Marinas are coastal infrastructures specifically designed for civilian watercraft, recreational boating, and general access to the nation's coastal waters and are hubs of economic activity. These are the places that provide secure moorings, restaurants and retail options, bait and tackle, and marine repair services. Talk to any boat owner and they will tell you that marinas are places where the money is spent. Not only do marinas provide the economy with a boost, but there are some really interesting things happening on the waterfront that we can learn from. According to the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, the U.S. marine economy is a primary driver of jobs, innovation, and economic growth. Marine-related gross domestic product grew by 5.8% from 2017 to 2018, faster than the 5.4% growth of the total U.S. gross domestic product. NOAA breaks down the contribution of the marine economy into 10 different sectors. Tourism and recreation have the largest contribution to overall GDP with $143 billion. To put that into perspective, how much marinas contribute to that, The Association of Marina Industries estimates approximately 11,500 U.S. marinas produce an economic economic impact of $18.1 billion, which supports around 105,000 jobs. We're talking major impacts here, people, and making sure this industry is protected and continues to thrive is a high priority for communities. For marinas all over the country directly exposed to intense storms, flooding, and land loss, being resilient means being able to reduce damage and resume business. There is a growing trend of stronger storms, accelerated erosion, record floods, and longer droughts that create a lot of issues for coastal communities. Marinas are on the front lines, but this means that they can be the leaders in the face of a changing climate and rising sea levels. That is why I am so excited for our guest today. We are going to hear from three amazing professionals that work with communities on the coast to help them build more capacity to be resilient to a changing climate. The regions we'll be exploring are the Great Lakes and the Gulf of Mexico, two vastly different regions at first glance, but also very similar in the issues they are dealing with and the strategies that are being implemented to combat those issues. Today, I'll be sitting down with Sarah Orlando, Clean Marinas and Program Manager with Ohio Sea Grant, and she is located off of Lake Erie. We are also going to be talking to Jody Thompson in Fairhope, Alabama. She is the Environmental Extension Associate at Mississippi Alabama Sea Grant, a multi-state collaboration. And finally, we will have Rhonda Price, who is the Deputy Director at the Office of Restoration and Resilience in the Mississippi Department of Marine 
resources. Rhonda has served as a part of the Coastal Resilience Team at the Gulf of Mexico Alliance, a partnership that was created among all five of the Gulf states to increase regional collaboration on the ecological and economic health of the Gulf of Mexico. Welcome, ladies. I want to start off by hearing about the work you do in each of your positions. Let's start with Rhonda. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do with the Gulf of Mexico Alliance? I sure can, and good morning. It's always a great opportunity to to talk about clean and resilient marinas and the initiative that um, came about through the Gulf of Mexico Alliance. Um, I currently chair the uh, resilience team, which is a priority issue team through GOMA, and my real job is uh, I'm deputy director for the Office of Coastal Restoration and Resilience for the Department of Marine Resources, and we're located in Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, to talk a little bit about the Clean and, Mar- Clean and Resilient Marina, uh, for years before, I was the Clean Marina Coordinator for the state, and at that time, we had a, a joint partnership with Alabama through the Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant. And we were, it was was an old program that was started um, through Florida years ago. And uh, I guess really the kickstart was for us was Katrina. We had lost several of our marinas and and harbors uh, due to the storm. And we were looking to update our clean marina standards. And um, none of the other states were really ready yet. And then GOMA kind of got kicked off and with the resilience team, and resilience really became a, a real motivation for everyone um, after the storm. And so through GOMA and the resilience team, um, we worked with the other five Gulf states. Uh, GOMA is a partnership of those five Gulf states. And our goal was to increase uh, re- regional collaboration that worked to enhance ecological and economic health in the Gulf of Mexico. And so uh, the resilience team made uh, that a priority for us was to provide marine operators and owners with those strategies and best management practices that may help them go into better design and develop and then manage their marinas. Um, And for us, that main um, hazard for us is kind of like what we're facing right now is is uh, coastal hazards, um, hurricanes, and uh, for some, you know, repetitive flooding. And so we, uh, the clean marina coordinators from those states got together and kind of revised those clean r- marina standards. We didn't really touch any of the clean marina uh, best management practices that were in place because those were working quite quite well. We just updated some of the policies and regulations that had changed it over the years. But we did add one component, and that was a resilient component. And for us, that definition, you know, was um, for the um, the natural and physical systems to adapt and and recover from change. And so we felt that, you know, obviously marinas were directly exposed to those tropical storms and flooding and for some land loss, um, depending on where they are. And being resilient was just 
for us able to, first of all, prevent that loss of life and personal injury, but then reduce the property damage and get get them those marinas back up and running as quickly as possible and get those boats back in into those harbors. Um, and so we revised the, the best management practices just to include in each one of our sections of the checklist a resilient component. And um, so far, you know, it's, it's been quite successful. And we're excited uh, to keep continuing the program and, and grow it the best that we can. Thank you, Rhonda. Now let's hear from Jody Thompson. Thanks for having me today, Ashley. I'm, I'm glad to be on uh, with, with these nice, great ladies. Um, so I am located in coastal Alabama, and I am part of the Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant Program. We are a bi-state uh, Sea Grant Program, one of the, one of the uh, few bi-state programs in the country. Um, and I also am with the Alabama Cooperative Extension System. Our office has been in the past, uh, as, as Rhonda mentioned, um, the coordinator for the Mississippi-Alabama uh, Clean Marina Program and as, is still involved with that program. But personally, I am a uh, the Coastal Community Resilience um, Outreach expert here on, on the coast, and I work with um, communities, municipalities to be more resilient to to natural hazards, whether that is a, 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 a hurricane or a, another weather system, or as we're coming to find uh, these days, things like an oil spill or another technological disaster. Um, one aspect of that is working with the working waterfront. And I have had the pleasure to work with a couple of marinas, um, in particular, the city of Fairhope um, at Goma and received a grant from the Gulf of Mexico program a few years back to provide technical assistance to one municipality in in each of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. And our Alabama's program was working with the city of Fairhope. Their uh, city of Marina had fallen into some disrepair under private management, and they were looking to make their marina more resilient and better managed and um, applied and received this technical assistance grant. So we put together a, a technical advisory committee. Um, Rhonda was kind enough to serve on that committee and provide a lot of good input on um, the Clean and Resilient Marina program. Um, and Fairhope has adopted several of those practices. Um, they have, as part of their plan. Uh, they have applied for and received grant funding to put in a, a clean pump out and um, and also a, a cleaner fuel dock and work get some public-private uh, funding for dredging and have implemented uh, several of the other resilient marina um, protocols. They are they're funding their their endeavors uh, as they have money for it. But um, but they are intending to continue to to put those protocols into place. Uh, you know that a couple of weeks ago we were hit pretty hard in this area by Hurricane Sally, and I think that a lot of our marinas were hit very hard in coastal Alabama and even over uh, east of us into the Panhandle of Florida. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us to to work with marinas to hopefully convince them to, as they rebuild, 
implement some more resilient strategies. Now we're going to go north and hear from Sarah Orlando in Ohio. Sure. Thank you, Ashley. And thanks again for the opportunity to uh, be here today. I really appreciate it. So I am also with the Sea Grant College program in Ohio here and um, the OSU Cooperative Extension Program. So I serve both as an extension educator um, and as the program manager for the Ohio Clean Marinas program. Um, it's, it's funny listening to Jody and Rhonda. Um, a lot of what I feel their, their barriers maybe for marinas in preparing for these types of natural hazards and some of the solution that they have put together through their partnership is, is truly um, kind of, we're just a little bit behind, <laughs> um, but we're going through some of the same things um, just in a slightly different way. Um, so in the Great Lakes, uh, just to give some perspective here, we have had uh, clean marina programs, much like the Gulf of Mexico, for some time now. Um, many of those clean marina programs have very well-established best management practices for things like uh, fuel management, you know, waste management, and a whole range of environmental best management practices. And um, we actually... In, in, in a way, similar to Gulf of Mexico, um, several years ago, through some seed funding from the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, we were able to put together a collaborative effort called the Great Lakes Clean Marina Network. And so it's every state in the Great Lakes region, including Lake Champlain, um, myself and uh, Michigan Sea Grant actually together, we co-chair uh, the network. And uh, it's more of, I would say, not as much of a formal uh, setup as GOMA. Uh, we right now uh, are, are very, I guess, ad hoc and volunteer based. Uh, but the whole idea is to have all of our clean marina coordinators communicating, sharing ideas, collaborating on challenges that we may experience, and then sharing solutions that we find to those challenges uh, with the whole idea that, um, you know, rather than compete essentially against each other, which which really doesn't make sense, uh, working together to make sure that we promote clean marinas, uh, encourage more marinas to join the program in the Great Lakes, and uh, help our programs grow and thrive. Um, so that was first started, gosh, back in, I had to guess, 2004, 2005. And then what happened um, after that uh, collaboration, excuse me, collaboration was formulated was uh, we had uh, what many know as Hurricane Sandy and what we came in Ohio to <laughs> call Superstorm Sandy in 2012. And while you're absolutely right, Ashley, there uh, we do not necessarily have hurricanes here in the Great Lakes. Um, that was quite a surprise um, for our marinas to have close to 20 foot swells for waves and 60 to 100 mile per hour winds is very unheard of in the Great Lakes. Um, it is something they rarely, if ever, are prepared for or anticipate. And so um, in part, because of that extreme natural event that occurred, and as a result of a NOAA Coastal Storms grant that was focused in the Great Lakes region, 
Um, Ohio Sea Grant, in partnership with a lot of our collaborators through the Great Lakes Clean Marina Network, um, we pursued a grant and actually uh, did more of a social science-based uh, project with our marinas in the Great Lakes. Um, we we basically tried to do, uh, we did focus groups in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin with marina owners to try to understand um, why, because when basically when Superstorm Sandy came through, uh, many of our marinas were not prepared and um, there was some pretty significant damage. I will say nothing compared, you know, obviously to how the East Coast experienced that hurricane, um, but still, you know, damage for, for their, you know, these small mom and pop businesses. Um, we had one marina in the city of Cleveland that had about over 30 boats sink and about $5 million worth of damage. Um, and again, these are seasonal marinas in Ohio. We're not a year round business, so they're usually open from March through maybe October. Um, and so uh, it, it can really impact a lot of these working waterfronts. So as a result of that uh, storm and, and thanks to this small grant uh, that was available, um, we, we really tried to understand where marina owners in the Great Lakes get their information um, how they currently prepare, adapt, and respond to coastal storms, and why existing tools and resources that could have prevented or, or helped them prepare for this type of situation were not effective. Because um, what myself and a lot of our colleagues in the and our experts in the Great Lakes region, and honestly, collaborating nationally with a lot of our Sea Grant uh, partners, what we know and understand is there's actually a lot of great resources that are out there. Um, but from my personal perspective, sometimes it's the challenges uh, connecting the stakeholders with those resources, right? Making them aware of them and, and helping them to use those resources. Um, so one of the kind of aha moments that we had out of this project was that, um, you know, if we want to help our marinas in the Great Lakes become better at preparing, adapting, and responding to coastal hazards, which can be extreme flooding um, events such as Superstorm Sandy, which we expect to occur more frequently in the future, um, and really any other, we, we have huge nor'easters that come across the lakes. Um, what we realized is we, we have to make it local. We have to make these resources local. Um, I found that I can't just take a hurricane plan from Florida or Texas as awesome as they are. There, there are some phenomenal um, templates out there and resources. But if I take that to a marina owner in Ohio, they're going to say, what the heck is this? <laughs> and so um, we, we learned that um, in order to get to them and get them to um, you know, really, truly uh, work with us and, and stop to think about this and say, hey, maybe this is something I should do. Um, we would have to take some of these tools and resources and, and not necessarily reinvent the wheel, but just make it very local and, um, you know, very much like, okay, this is a coastal storms preparedness plan. <laughs> um, this is a, a boater uh, fact sheet on how to tie down your boat in case of a, a nor'easter or a large storm, not in the case of a hurricane. Um, and so that, that was one of the big aha moments that I had is it, is it really um, when it comes to working with our stakeholders and working with people locally, they, they want to understand things locally. Uh, they want things to be um, 
formulated for them in a local way and they want to have examples or case studies um, based on what's happening in their own backyard. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. I and I know um, being a being a Michigan native that um, another thing that you deal with that we don't deal with down here is is ice and and snow and stuff. Do you have do Marina Onas have issues um, with the ice and, and the heightened uh, the raised Great Lakes levels that you guys are experiencing? Absolutely. That was another big um part of the focus groups is while we posed questions about coastal hazards and dealing with Superstorm Sandy because the marinas had just gone through it, um, we offered significant time for them to bring up what are the things that are most of concern to them. And it was, yes, structural damage from storms, waves, wind, and ice. And um, the one of the key differences that we have up here in the Great Lakes as opposed to in the coastal states is um, we are not experiencing sea level rise where it's a continuous you know increase um, instead we are seeing extreme fluctuations so with future climate change projections we are expected to see and we are honestly right now seeing um, some of the highest water levels we've ever had on record and then it's very possible 10 15 years down the road we will see a cycle of the lowest water levels we've ever seen on record so it's quite a challenge because we um, have to encourage our marinas to think in that way of extremes and not necessarily on a level of what some of the coastal states are doing of uh, sea level rise um, so those two factors, the fluctuating water levels and ice, are significant challenges for our marinas. And it's definitely, um, I would say for the Great Lakes, they're pretty unique to us. So I'm from the Great Lakes region, and I was not aware of this phenomenon. It makes me think about how much knowledge we can ga- that can be gained from the Great Lakes having to very suddenly adapt to these higher water le- levels. But I want to focus more on this idea of different regions adapting at different levels of urgency. I know down here in the Gulf, we are experiencing a changing coastline and more coastal flooding than previous years, which seems to have inspired different types of actions for change. Now, Rhonda, do you think climate change, specifically more frequent flooding and bigger, more powerful storms are rousing marinas to take quicker action? I think so. Um, Like I said, for us, the main motivation um, around looking for something to um, add or or help adapt, um, become our marinas become more sustainable was really Hurricane Katrina. And really, when we were looking at that resilient component, we were trying to provide uh, these marina operators and owners with some new strategies to help them in, um, if they had to start from scratch, some design and development, um, um, siting uh, help that would help them create or, or um, restore their marinas to become much harder and uh, be able to maybe sustain a lot of the, the storms that, that we see every year. So I wouldn't say that the Great Lakes were behind. I just say that they've been, you know, lucky that, um, that they haven't had to deal with it until now. And, um, it kind of puts them in a good position, I think, because it would have put us in a, in a 
great position, just like we had the Clean Marina program at the time, we had a template to work off from. So I think that's kind of what Goma's strength is, that through these collaboration and partnerships, we're not out there by ourselves trying to recreate the wheel, that we have um, communities and states that, that have gone through certain events and that kind of come out of that with more lesson learned and best management practices, strategies, whatever you want to call them, that other states can can take and adapt. This program is not a one-size-fits-all. Um, it just has basically the, the standard regulations that, that you would see through environmental clean water standards. But each state is different. They have different state rules and they have different um, um, communities and, and even the way the water and the tides uh, fluctuate. So this program, uh, this initiative was really created uh, with a uh, I guess a holistic approach that each state could take the template and tailor to to fit their need. Um, and so I think through the years, um, ours was just this whole initiative of adding the resilient component uh, to an already successful successful program was just created out of a need that that came from uh, Katrina. That's really interesting. Have you, um, do you know of other states outside of the Gulf of Mexico um, that are taking on some of the clean and resilient marina initiatives or looking into similar programs? I do. Um, I've worked with, uh, just like we're the Gulf of Mexico Alliance, there's a, a Southeast uh, Regional Partnership. And uh, I went up to uh, South Carolina, and they have a, um, a collaborative up there. So we met with representatives from South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and just basically walk through the, the clean and resilient checklist, uh, gave them all the resources. And so they've just kind of taken that template and tailored it to fit their state. Uh, I think North Carolina has uh, separated. They have a, a clean marina program, and then they have where you could just be a clean marina, or if you meet those, then you could go for a resilient certification. So each state has uh, tailored it to, to fit their need. And um, so we, we had a series of meetings in South Carolina um, to walk them through that. So um, that was really thrilling for me because, um, you know, although we do it for the Gulf states, like I said, we're part of a, a regional collaboration and partnership. So anything that any of the other states think that they could use as a resource, uh, we're more than willing to to help walk them through the process. That's great. I, I'm loving how how versatile that this program is. I mean, sure, it was created to address the issues of the Gulf of Mexico, but um, even places like up in the Great Lakes and stuff can look at this model and adapt it for their own. That's that's all about adapting to what's happening in the future and all this uncertainty. 
Um, so I know that Jody and Rhonda have worked together and on some of these initiatives. And Jody mentioned that uh, Fairhope Docs uh, had received a grant to um, implement some of this. Jody, would you mind talking about that a little bit? So the city of Fairhope Marina is known as the Fairhope Docks. That's the the name they sort of rebranded with. Um, the city of Fairhope was interested in um, bringing their marina, their city marina, um, back up into a, a, a higher, a, a, it had fallen into some disrepair. So they wanted to rebuild and, and kind of bring it into kind of a higher level um, and really revamp it and also create more space for the public in, in that area. So they applied to a, a um, grant opportunity that was made available through GOMA um, with funding from the EPA's Gulf of Mexico program um, to provide technical assistance. Um, no funding, but technical assistance to help them design a new a new layout for their marina. And as part of that, uh, Rhonda, as I mentioned, was on the technical advisory committee and introduced them to some of the clean, mar- clean and resilient marina um, aspects, which they did then incorporate. Um, since that project, the the city has applied to the Clean Vessel Act funding to put in a pump out station, and also installed with the same funds a um, a more clean fuel fueling station than they had previously. Um, those are kind of uh, the more traditional clean marina aspects, water quality aspects. They had some stormwater issues that they they also fixed. Um, but they are intending to continue to implement um, some of the resilient marina aspects, like uh, they're 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 going to fix the docking docks and and make floating docks um, that they don't have now. They're they're just plain wooden docks, not the floating docks. Um, as far as the offices for the marina manager, they want to put in offices and and restrooms that are removable that they can pull out in, in the event of a storm um, so that they don't receive that damage that they have to then, you know, rebuild, making them more resilient. Some other aspects like that. Um, they are kind of, they're, they're put, implementing these plans as funding becomes, becomes available. And um, one, I mean, one of the aspects I know, Ashley, that you had asked us about earlier are some roadblocks to implementing things. And in this case, they are a municipal marina, and that makes them um, eligible for grant opportunities that a lot of our private marinas are not eligible for. And that uh, the Clean Clean Vessel Act funds are are open to anyone, but but some of the under, other funding that's available isn't necessarily open to a private marina. Um, I know that we've had some private marinas that are having some flooding issues and are interested in implementing things. But like Sarah mentioned, uh, a lot of marinas are what she, she termed mom and pop. They are small businesses, essentially, even though they make a huge economic impact. Um, but they don't necessarily have the funding to, to implement wholesale building changes in, in their marina. So that, that is a big stumbling block for us here. Um, we don't necessarily, uh, our marinas do house a lot of um, 
individual boats, but they also are a large part of our broader working waterfront. The city of Fairhope has dock space for commercial fishermen who do dockside shrimp sales. Um, and they're very excited about trying to put in even a, a seafood market. And a lot of our coastal marinas house are home to our charter fishing fleet, which is a, a, a huge economic driver in the state of Alabama. So even though they're small businesses, they, they have this big economic effect. However, they can't necessarily afford to put in some of these resilient practices without some assistance. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I didn't realize that there was a difference of available funding depending on whether you were a public marina or a private marina. And these are things that people really worry about and struggle with. Do you know of available funding that private marinas can tap into? I don't know of any offhand. Um, and we've been approached by some some private marinas uh, about public assistance and I haven't been able to pinpoint any um, existing funding sources. The uh, the only funding sources that uh, that I know of that are available for or to um, private marina owners is a program that's through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service through their Sport Fish Restoration uh, Program, and that is the Clean Vessel Act, which installs pump outs. Um, which is the sewage waste uh, disposal system that boats use, and uh, they will they will pay for um, um, or it's a seventy five twenty five um, grant uh, to install uh, pump outs, and then the other is the boating infrastructure grant that is for twenty six and over non trailerable. It was created to assist transient boaters and that will pay for um, certain docks, uh, moorings, navigational buoys, and it will prorate uh, restrooms and laundry facilities that accommodate these transient uh, boaters. Um, that is um, really the only thing that I know of that, um, you know, outside of, of private marinas, unless they are, um, you know, impaired by some sort of disaster. And then, of course, they'd fall under um, uh, FEMA public assistance. Yeah, that was my thought exactly, Rhonda. I just want to second what Jody said about the challenge of finding funding for private facilities. Um, but one of the things I'm finding is a possible solution. I've I've got maybe like one example on the green infrastructure side of actually seeing this to fruition where we actually have public funding, but it's a public-private partnership and we're actually getting money to a private marina. But on the coastal resiliency shot side, I am talking to some of our marinas right now about a new grant through FEMA called the Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities or BRIC grant. It is a community grant, but I'm trying to get our marinas to think large scale and consider, you know, if they were to partner with their local government, their local city, partner with the community. And this is a pre-disaster mitigation grant program. And so I think that's, to be honest, it is, it's, it's extremely challenging to find funding for private entities. And so, so I think the solution is 
trying to help facilitate these partnerships where you maybe have a local marina or a couple of these local mom-and-pop marinas working together as part of a larger resilient shoreline plan in partnership with the local community. The local community can get the dollars and the public funding, but kind of implement and work with the marinas to implement that planning um, even in a private facility, but for the benefit of the entire community. Wow, thanks, Sarah. That's uh, that's a little bit of like grant funding jujitsu as far as trying to work out what existing partnerships you can leverage to kind of get these funds. Um, I think that's a great place where Sea Grant really fills as far as um, having access to all these different types of partners and resources and trying to figure out how they can possibly work together to help the community be just build more capacity and be more resilient. Um, are there other, Sarah, um, are there other obstacles, physical obstacles or, or financial obstacles that you're also facing up there? Um, I know you mentioned that uh, you had done more of a social science type of study and, and, and gotten to a lot of the core issues of um, how people get their information and, and what they do with that. Um, do you find that, um, on top of thinking about obstacles, do you find that uh, people feel like um, it is important to be resilient up there in the Great Lakes as far as like preparing for possible disaster or preparing for any type of hazard? Um, do they see the importance in that or is there still a little bit of pushback as far as like we don't experience what the Gulf of Mexico experiences or the East Coast. So these this doesn't seem as important. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded of what Rhonda said with Hurricane Katrina. I think um, unfortunately it sometimes takes an extreme event for people to realize what could possibly happen, right? And so um, as as bad as Superstorm and Hurricane Sandy was, um, that's the one thing I can point to when I am trying to talk to marine owners about the importance. And if there are, you know, naysayers or people are like, oh, that doesn't happen. Well, now I can say, well, it did happen, <laughs> um, you know. And so um, as bad as that was, it's it's a, you know, it's still, it's getting farther and farther in the rear view mirror. It's 2012, but um, it, it's still something uh, in the back of their mind that I can point to and say, hey, you know, it's, it's entirely possible, unfortunately, for this to happen again. And so we want to help you be prepared. And I'll just say one more thing, I think, and I'm hoping Jody and, and Rana can agree, it, when it comes to clean marinas and Sea Grant in general, we all partner and work together. And, and one of the key, I think, um, benefits of, of what we do is, is, is yes, we ideally help to find funding, but if we can't find funding, we're there. We are technical assistants. We're out there on the ground trying to help. And so um, that I think also helps them be willing to work with us and, and more because we're just simply there saying, hey, you know what? I'm spending my time with you. Um, yeah, you know what? I might not be able to find you funding, but you know what? Hey, I can sit down with you for a couple hours and help you work through a template on a storm or a hurricane preparedness plan. And um, th they appreciate that. Um, so that goes for something. And so it helps with um, that increased uh, adoption of some of these practices. Uh, yeah, no, I think we can we can all agree on that. And, and it's my understanding, you and I have talked about this before, Sarah, um, 
you talked about the fluctuation of the lake levels and when uh, Superstorm Stan- Sandy was uh, coming through, the lake levels levels were lower that year, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, that was during a record low level period. And we are now not even almost a decade later in a record high level water period. So yeah. So is that something that you also try to emphasize as far as like this happened and it caused some damage, but it's not even as much as it could be as if we potentially got hit this year? Absolutely. And that's one where, um, Again, there's so many great resources out there. I know there's there's sea level rise viewers and sea level rise tools for the coastal states. Um, we were lucky enough to have NOAA support the development of a lake level viewer tool that, again, many marinas didn't even know existed because it's that connecting. We have to help our stakeholders understand that these tools are out there. So what I'll do is I'll help show them this tool and show them the um what, what uh, lake levels could look like in certain years on high water level and low water level. And that helps open their eyes exactly to see, oh, wow, I imagine what it would have been like if the lake levels were that high when all of, when Superstorm Sandy came through. Well, thanks, Sarah. Rhonda, as someone that has been a part of the Clean and Marina program for a while, can you talk about some of the success stories that pop up in your mind specifically? I'm wondering, can you speak about some strategies that marinas are implementing? Yes. So I'm glad you asked that because um, now it gives me a chance to talk about one of my my uh, favorite projects that I was able to work on. Like I said, uh, Katrina devastated uh, the majority, if not all, of our marinas and harbors on the coast. And at the time, um, they had plans for a new harbor over in Bay St. Louis, um, which is right on the... Um, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana line there in Hancock County. And so we took those, um, some of the clean marina and resilient strategies and uh, helped you know, design design the, the marina. And some of the components that were put into the marina was um, a lot of things that, that are damaged during storms, storm events. Uh, there are harbor master offices. Um, there are the power pedestals. Uh, and those can be expensive items to replace if, if they're lost after an event. And so we uh, came up with the idea of having a trailerable uh, harbor master office where the restrooms are also kind of included in this this large office and uh, every so often once a year uh, we we they the city of Bay St. Louis will will test the um, office and and it trailer it out um, it was trailered out uh, for a storm um, here a year or so ago when we had a threat of, of a Cat 3, um, but luckily, you know, that, that did not um, come about. But they can, that Harbor Master Office can be trailered out. The power pedestals um, around now, most of the marinas uh, can, um, they will go out and um, take those power pedestals out. All of the utilities are now up in higher towers. Uh, the materials that are now constructed in marinas are more durable with concrete pylons and uh, more sustainable decking. So um, really, 
you know, we, we've come a long way in, in where we started with what a marina looks like to what we've adapted to today. And um, so I always enjoy, you know, showing the pictures of, of the Harbor Master House uh, office uh, coming out and, and rolling down the street and um, restrooms that can be trailered out. So anything that, that can be taken to higher ground, uh, that is, that's what we uh, encourage. And that's what a lot of the marinas, especially on the Gulf Coast here in Mississippi, have done. And so I think the challenge is those older um, marinas and harbors that don't have the funding to come up to these standards um, and that would love to, but they just don't have the resources. And so hopefully in time, maybe through the BRIC program, uh, we can help those marinas come up to be, to be uh, more sustainable in, in their design and um, um, construction. So when talking with the harbor master at Fairhope Stocked, he mentioned that they were planning to take on an invasive species program and some other conservation effort strategies. I would like to hear from each of you. Are there marinas in your region that are focusing efforts on not only being resilient to the weather, sea level rise, climate change, and disasters, but also taking steps to implement conservation initiatives? I do think that our our local marinas um, are very interested in conserving and protecting water quality, um, invasive species, uh, particularly uh, for our charter fishermen. Um, I know you, you may be, you know, uh, there may be some plant species, but but for them, um, some reef fish invasive species um, they are interested in. Uh, eradicating or just e- trying to uh, better the reef situation for for our for our local fish, um, and then of course preserving, protecting that that water quality. I think that they're very in- have a real vested interest in in maintaining that. That that makes me happy to hear. Um, Sarah, do you have uh, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just um, what's been interesting for me um, being in the clean marinas field since I started is I had one concept of what clean marinas was and it was, you know, fuel management and working on just these core um, best practices that were put together back when clean marinas started. But it's truly evolved to be, from what I can see, a a, like interdisciplinary (laughs) type um, application. And what I mean by that is, um, I'm now working with marinas on, you know, green infrastructure and stormwater, but that that one green infrastructure practice we're designing to incorporate native species, so to help eradicate invasives, stress the importance of native species, help with flooding and erosion controls, help with coastal flooding, and at the same time address pollution runoff through stormwater best practices. So it's been really, um, it's just been a passion line. It's really exciting, I think. And to see marinas kind of um, understand through our education, right, and through our technical assistance that you can actually work with us to find certain practices that can address these multiple different uh, topics um, in one practice. And that's really exciting. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the field will continue to kind of move in that way. 
Oh, that's so exciting. That does. I'm, I'm like you. It's, it's a passion and it makes me very excited to hear that. Um, uh, and Rhonda, do you, um, are you, I mean, have you been seeing is invasive plant species uh, management and, and stormwater management something that people are, are really taking, taking um, and running with and trying to um, implement strategies to, to protect these uh, natural resources? Yes, definitely. Um, the Department of Marine Resources in our office, we have uh, an invasive species program. And so that office is set up to assist municipalities, communities, um, and marinas uh, on harbors if they find invasive species and we try to tr- try to get ahead of those and, and eradicate that as soon as possible. The marinas have really taken um, uh, an initiative upon themselves to limit marine debris as well. Uh, a lot of them have um, these automated traf- trash uh, collectors that are located within the, the marinas and they're really neat to, to see. They just sit there and kind of collect the, the trash if they have any in the, uh, that comes into the marina. And then of course it's, you know, picked up later on. So the marinas have really taken on marine debris as, um, uh, really one of their outreach programs that they, that they push, especially to boaters. And, um, another that has been important, I think, to keep down a lot of damage is now Right, unlike before, we have mandatory evacuations for these marinas. So uh, I think that is that's that's helped a lot. Um, it, that where in the past um, we saw a lot of damage to marinas because a lot of boats didn't get moved, and now with mandatory evacuations, um, uh, I think we see less of that. But I think. Uh, marina owners and and operators have really you know stepped up the game and um, and taking their part to to combat storm water and and marine debris. So um, and of course we're there for technical assistance if they have any issues or any questions with green infrastructure. We're there to you know to help guide them in. Uh, what type of plants or if, if they have that type of facility where they can do a native vegetation um, or even, you know, um, clean water, um, um, you know, catch basins and, and stuff like that. So um, I think they've done a great job. Thank you, Sarah Orlando, Rhonda Price and Jody Thompson for joining me today. It's been a pleasure speaking with all of you. And thank you all for listening to the National Working Waterfront Podcast. We are brought to you by the National Working Waterfront Network. Learn more about them at nationalworkingwaterfronts.com. Also, give them a follow on Twitter at NWWNET. And be sure to follow this and all other great podcasts on the American Shoreline Podcast Network by subscribing wherever you get your pods. Until next time... Keep those waterfronts working.